a long time ago on a comics page far, far away. Greetings and welcome to May the Panel Be With You, the Star Wars comic book show brought to you by the Punch-Up Entertainment Network. I am your humble host, Mike Argoni, and joining me, as always, the gyro control module to my Millennium Falcon, it's John Campbell. Hello, everybody. Boy, you don't know how important that gyro control module is until you read this issue, do you? I mean, you, you know it's there. But you realize you take it for granted when you read this. I mean, really, it's one of those things you don't think about until you really, really need to think about it. <laughs> and boy, do we ever. Oh, folks, it's all been building to this. A finale of sorts, right? It does feel like <laughs> the end of another arc here of the 1970s Star Wars comic. This feels like Archie Goodman wrapping up basically every all the leftovers he was given when he took over the book. It really does. I, you know, I, 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 I want to have more affection for this than I do. I, I do have a certain level of just sort of like pop culture and not even nostalgic. It's not something we grew up with, but just like, oh, it's old timey and whatnot. But it is trying to read this as any semblance of a story is so frustrating. This read to me. This where, of course, we are covering issue number fifteen of the nineteen seventy seven Marvel Comics Group Star Wars comic book. Uh, mm -hmm. We are finally getting to our final confrontation between Han Solo and Crimson Jack, everyone's favorite space pirate. And boy, does this feel like them just clearing the table of all the leftovers. It really, really does. No, it is sort of just like, I don't know. I just, I'm tired. It's like, it can literally feel Archie Goodwin going like, I'm tired of this shit, man. I'm tired of the space pirates. This is a Roy Thomas thing that started. Let's just get to where I can do. I'm really curious to see where he goes from here now that he's sort of unshackled from the stuff that Thomas handed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yes, because, of course, we are covering, like I said, issue number 15. It was first published September 1st, 1978, written by Archie Goodwin. We've got pencils still, mostly the same creative team as before, by Carmen Infantino. We've got inks by uh, Terry Austin. We've got colors by Janice Cohen and letters by John Costanza. And Jim Shooter still sniffing about as consulting editor. Interesting. Last issue, it was James Shooter. This issue, it's back to Jim Shooter. He was feeling a little formal for one month there. And again, having read ahead, I will say he vacillates. <laughs> so weird. I don't mm -hmm. want that. People really normally people with movies or comics or stuff like that kind of settle on one. You're James, you're Jim, you're Jimmy or whatever. Mm -hmm. I like it. He's like, oh, you don't pin me down. You don't <laughs> tell me how I say my own name. Eventually, we're just going to see Jay Shooter. <laughs> Jay Shooter. Uh, Jay Shooter is a, like a cool character in a gambling movie, right? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh no, you pulled Jay Shooter in the poker tournament. Because yeah, let's uh, let's pull the bandaid on this thing. Let, let's get to oh. the, the cover of this week's issue. The this awesome Flash Gordon. I'm sorry, Star Wars cover. Um, this is uh, and and the designs in this issue, but like the scuba outfits in space. I was actually thinking about this reading this issue. When have we ever actually seen a spacesuit in Star Wars? Almost never, really. I was struggling to like recall any instance of an actual spacesuit in a Star Wars film, and I cannot recall one. 
I don't think that. No, you don't even get like <clears throat> you don't even get like somebody ejecting from an X-wing and they're in like a survival suit or something like that. Yeah, no, you don't get anything like that. I don't. I don't really. It, it's it's almost a non thing. Like it's not even brought up. Yeah, the closest I can even recall is when they exit the Millennium Falcon in Empire and they've got the breathing mass on when they're inside the Exogorth. Yes, yeah, that's as close to anything we see as them having like oxygen tanks or something like that. Yeah, they're not really a thing in Star Wars. It kind of adds to the whole like the different one of the big differences people talk about between Star Wars and Star Trek, right? The space opera appeal of it is space is not really like a thing to explore in Star Wars like it is in a Star Trek or something like that. It's not like a thing. It's just sort of, uh, it's like being on the ocean or something like that, more than it is like we're going to go out into space. Yeah, and there's this whole like fantasy element of the ancient civilization that the current day has been built on top of that is so like kind of ingrained in fantasy that Star right. Wars really plays on in that like all of space has basically been explored and the parts that are unknown are parts that have been like lost to time or like have been wiped from the records and like people have still been there and we're just re-stumbling across it as opposed to Star Trek where they're like making contact with civilizations that have progressed to this point. And so in that sense, it's like space as a scientific concept isn't really a thing. You don't get like uh like you never get you never get in Star Wars like oh no the um uh the artificial gravity or the life support systems are going to go down necessarily in the point like you don't get like space is cold if we don't if we run out of power we're going to freeze out here it's only like, you know I mean it's not really dealing with space is just kind of a almost a backdrop there is an ancient term in uh, Greek alchemy um, oh, wow. I, I, I'm so curious where this jumped to, but I love it. That refers to the matter that all celestial bodies are suspended in um, mm -hmm. that we would eventually just call space and is like <laughs> right. functionally empty. But they were trying to come up with terms for this stuff and they came to the term phlogiston. It's mm -hmm. like the 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 soup that the Earth and the stars and the planets are all kind of buoyed in. At least that's what they thought at the time, and that's what it really feels like in Star Wars. It's just like everything's yeah. kind of like on a, a plane of some kind. We can't see it, and it's functionally space, but it is like a soup, and it's really I... brought to the fore when you have two guys in scuba masks and wearing nothing else swimming through space, shooting at each other. Well, that's it. It's almost like, well, obviously, like, it's still space as we know it. You can't go out in it. But, like, things like hull breaches aren't a Star Wars thing. It's not like, oh, no, someone's going to be sucked out into space necessarily it, or airlocked. I mean, it, it, it happens. It, and, like, we've, like, there's the whole thing in Revenge of the Sith when uh, Grievous busts the window out on the bridge. And, yeah. Like, before the shutters but come he, down, he escapes out into the ship. There's that kind of stuff, but it's an interesting thing where it's not really dealt with as like a, oh no, space is out there and it's a dangerous thing that we could, you know, space isn't scary in the way it is in like Star Trek or other sort of real, more science-y mm -hmm. depictions of space. 
Um, yeah. So it's interesting. It's it's a, it's one of those things where you talk about there aren't spacesuits in Star Wars, and I'm going like it's almost as if anyone in the world of Star Wars would go space suits. Well, what would we do? And we'll discuss like, it later. Like there is some passing reference to armor and being unarmored out in space in this issue yeah. that we'll talk to, but that just seems like something Archie Goodwin is making up. It is not something that is pre-established in this universe, nor again based on my like, wow, there are no spacesuits in Star Wars. No one has ever given this any thought. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because it's like, do the are there stormtroopers that that are in like airtight suits that could go out on the side of a ship? I've never seen that. Maybe. I I mean, there's like in Clone Wars and in Rebels, we see people who like to go out into space. They have to put a helmet on. That's just kind of assumed. And like, right. But how much of a seal there is in a stormtrooper's helmet has always been a matter of debate. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. We just don't. But it's, it's not like we better suit up, get our oxygen. You know, like I said, once again, my I mean, I know there are other. But like the, the obvious comparison is the Star Wars versus Star Trek thing. But it's like mm-hmm. anytime they leave the ship, it's like a big to do on Star Trek. And they got to put on the suits and lock the gloves. And then they got the mag boots and stuff like that. And you're like, because. Oh, right, because if we don't lock ourselves down to the side of the ship, we'll float into space. You just don't get the sense there's that kind of thought in Star Wars. It's so much more, as we're talking about, space opera, space fantasy. So it is interesting as we bring all this up to talk about, I guess, by that argument, then getting back to this comic, it'd probably be goofy as shit like this, right? If if you did have to do it, it does kind of make sense that it would be crazy space scuba stuff. Yeah, I will say. The space scuba stuff is actually my least, the least of my problems with this cover. My largest problem with this cover is the use of the phrase at last twice. (laughs) It can't, they can't, can we get that in there maybe a couple more times? At last, at last, at last. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've got at last beyond the movie, beyond the galaxy, Star Wars. And then in the type copy, we've got at last Han Solo's showdown with Crimson Jack. Yeah, is if you're telling me that if you just ditch the at last, it wouldn't sell. It's like Han Solo showdown with Crimson Jack exclamation point. That's not enough. Or even how about a finally? You know. Yeah. Or, or a. Something. Remember Crimson Jack, that character you all care about? No. Okay. Well, he's dead. This issue. Yeah, man. Do you think there was ever any discussion about like, hey George, you want to put Crimson Jack in Empire? <sighs> no. Here's a good question. <laughs> No. Here's a good question. How much do you think George Lucas even remembers that Crimson Jack is a character that exists in any semblance of his universe? I would argue that George Lucas barely remembers that some characters with actual names and dialogue in his movies exist. (laughs) George, how do you feel about Sleaze Bagano? (laughs) What are your opinions Uh, on Zam Wessel? We're yeah, just exactly. naming characters from Attack of the Clones now. Well, because Attack of the Clones does have some of the silliest character names. Dexter Jetster. Yeah, Dexter Jetster. I was exactly where I was going next. Because it is like, uh, George, what, what happened, man? What was going on in your life when shit was getting named at that in that movie? <laughs> uh, a movie that was already called Attack of the Clones. Probably the silliest title of a Star Wars movie. Considering the clones barely attack. Yeah, it's also just there's something weird about like, you know, revenge, return, strikes back. When there's something about attack, mm-hmm. I just remember every time it's true. It sounds like a '50s like B sci-fi movie. Attack of the clones. You know? If anything, like 
Phantom Menace feels like a more appropriate title for episode two. We're getting into the rabbit hole here. Let's stick with yeah, this yeah, issue yeah, of the yeah, comic yeah. We're, we're talking about the prequels. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> the only thing that could be worse if we talk about the sequels. But anyway, back to this. Uh, let's back yeah. to Star Duel. We open up on this first page as we get this battlecruiser floating above the Star Sun Drexel or the lone planet of the Star Sun Drexel. I love that they keep talking about unnamed. It's like, well, guys, you could name it. You're the ones deciding it's unnamed. Also, there's a whole population of people who yeah, have lived there their entire lives, and they've only ever called it while well, we live on this unnamed planet. Yeah, exactly. We've you. It's up to you guys, maybe at a certain point. Did you think about just calling it something? I also. <laughs> what happened to it being called Doom World? Remember Doom World? That's uh, gone again. Doom World's more of a classification than a title. It's a Doom World. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and it's become a lot less there. doomy now that we resolved the whole dragon lords and record yeah. cult thing. Oh, I do love the beginning of this comic on the next page when it's just like. So that war is over anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, Jack, he wants the blood of Han Solo. Yeah, this is this the same thing as Governor Korg last week. These morons could just get away and be fine if they didn't take personal vendettas against Han Solo. Look, villain hubris is a long, proud tradition in Star Wars, and that tradition is starting here. It really is. Also... Very colorful Star Destroyer. Look at some of these colors on it. It's got some Christmas lights running or something. <laughs> I don't remember ever. It's always uniform and like purposely meant to be. All the Empire stuff mm -hmm. is dark grays, blacks, whites, right? Like it's all meant to be sort of monochromatic. Crimson Jack has souped this thing up. John, I'll take anything that's not just a splash of pink behind a character's outline. So. <laughs> It's true. I'm just looking at the stars, too. They got lots of reds and oranges in there. And stuff, no, this right? is They're... beautiful. I love this. Uh, I, yeah, this man, I, I'm on board. Uh, and then let's let's go to the next page and we find Crimson Jack. Oh, pantsless one. Are those shorts <laughs> getting shorter? I swear they're riding up each issue. He has gone from like short shorts to a speedo in quick succession. He has. And also, I love once again, lovingly rendered his I'm going to I'm going to call it a fainting couch. Yeah, I do love his fainting catch. Though in that second panel here in the middle, he has suddenly grown sleeves, and I wasn't having it. Yeah, what is that about? That's he a coloring is issue. Firmly, yeah, he is firmly a football shoulder pads only fella. <laughs> I don't know how he gets into his like wrestling singlet with the shoulder pads, but all I know is that it requires nothing to touch his biceps other than those weird bands he wears. And also just, yes, and also just he's got those Marvel boots, man. Everybody at Marvel has that same design of boot, whether it's your Captain America or your Hawkeye. I love it. I always think of them as the Captain America boots, those like weird pleated like adventurer yeah. boots. Absolutely. But I just think it's like, especially in like 60s and 70s Marvel, every single character had these boots. Mm -hmm. It's very, uh, it's very iconic. Uh, speak, um, speaking of Marvel, we've got uh, Galactus Jr. in one of these engineering chairs uh, waving to Captain Jack, uh, saying, I think we got him, Captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like, I hope my dad doesn't find out about this. He's out <laughs> eating planets. Um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do think uh, when push comes to shove, they default to Marvel designs on some stuff like oh, that. I mean... Yeah, there's a house style that this is uh, leaning into. And Infantino like, has been drawing this stuff for so long at this point that certain right. designs are just going to be the default if he doesn't have any art direction. That's kind of 
of the one of the fun things of this comic in its in its novelty, right? Not as legitimate Star Wars, but just as a novelty product of its time is we are looking at this comic that really is a merging together of Marvel and Star Wars at this respective time, these two massive franchises. And here's look at this comic as them bleeding together, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like, oh, there's Star Wars stuff, but there's a lot of Marvel shit in here too, mm-hmm. even if it's not in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Like, yeah, Captain like, America's not showing up in this, but his boots are. His boots are. But if a Star-Lord showed up in this, I don't think we'd bat an eye at that. Was Star-Lord even a character in this era? He was, a, but it was a different character. He's ve- he's the very Flash Gordon-y Star-Lord at Yeah, this it's point. the Vance Astro, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, that is... Uh, but that that's what I mean, almost. I mean that specific design of Star-Lord. Mm-hmm would fit totally in this world or even if the star jammers showed up man oh sure yeah, yeah, yeah. um but we, the, the crimson jacks crew feels very off-brand star jammers actually to me i mean yeah if I mean, he were if this was a gang of pirates living in the shiar empire i wouldn't be surprised i mean he wishes he was a corsair let's oh, be honest uh, who doesn't <laughs> wish they were a corsair yeah i kind of wake up every day bummed i'm not corsair because that guy rules <laughs> Having a sweet rad skunk lady girlfriend and having a weird pirate crew—it's all good. That, that guy's living the best life. Right. Um, so yeah, we we call back down to my favorite uh, '60s mod French girl, uh, Jolie. Who? Oh boy, hold on to your hats, everybody, because this issue with Jolie is wild. If you thought we were going to get a Jolie tragic backstory issue then you should go buy a lottery ticket right now because because I didn't call that. No, I didn't at all. We have, we've been talking the last several issues about like, I wonder if they're going to do anything with this character and what they did with her is like, okay, look out, man. Both way more than I was expecting and not what I was expecting at all. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm right there with you on that. Uh, (laughs) So yeah. So they're all, everybody on the ship is freaking out because he's giving the order to, uh, basically, he, he's pulling a, a, what I like to say is a real Khan Noonien Singh move here, mm-hmm. where it's like, uh, my crew be damned. This is now my own personal vendetta, and I'm going to get everyone killed because of it. Because uh, <laughs> Han Solo on his way off the ship escaping with Leia has disabled all of their fighter craft, and they're correct. hoping that they can get even a couple of them back up and running. And so he's giving Jolie a hard time about doing that. And on the next page, uh, uh, we get this refrain that will issue throughout the book saying, like, you got to be good enough. Like, are you good enough to, like, actually get this shit done? And then we get the thing Carmen Infantino loves a lot, which is a lady scowling. Yeah, he's got a big scowly lady thing going on. And he really Jolie scowls loves, with the best of them. He really loves a woman going, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pissed. Her eyebrows get, like, increasingly, like, recurved throughout this issue yeah. to the point where they're almost a C by the end. <laughs> uh, yeah. At a certain point it's just slatted lines and a C to be like, I'm so mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, let's go back down to the planet aboard everyone's favorite pirate ship. That is still actively on fire, I guess. It looks like it. There's still some flames around there. And I do like just, uh, we get a little horn sea serpent just kind of, Cruising around on the water there. By the way, I'm still here. Yeah, don't worry. Don't forget about me. Everyone's favorite sea serpent. Hello. Uh, <laughs> I'm continu- I'm technically a series regular at this point, so they have to. They pay me no matter what, so they think. Put me in the. Sorry, my cat. 
jumping in the way there. Uh, but um, yeah, so uh, I, but I love th- this comic across the board. It's not just this issue, but I really noticed it in this issue, and this is an example of it. There is way too much dialogue on establishing shots. Yeah. Well, because you have these big establishing shots and the writer feels the need to, well, A, establish details about previous issues that they can then add to an editor's box. There's so many editor's boxes in this issue. It's crazy because we've got an editor's box here where he's talking about, hey, we had an epic uh, battle last month, you guys. And something I did think about, and of course I knew this. And there was one in the last page, too. when he's talking about like uh, the princess escaping, so I want to yeah. keep a, a running tab right now of how many editors boxes we've got. Well, that's two, right now, right? this is two. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because there's not no yeah. So we got two at the moment, but yes, there were a lot. But something I was thinking about, I think simply because it made me think of it because all the editors boxes on this issue. But it is an interesting thing where you go like, oh right, you really do have to tell people because. They're, the concept of them reading this in a trade isn't the thing. Right, yeah. It's so it is sort of like, and and books would sell out back then, so it's not like, oh, well, I'll just go pick up last month's issue. It's like, it's probably not there. If you're lucky, it'll be in like the old issue boxes, the long boxes mm-hmm. at your comic book store, if you have access to a comic book store. Yeah. Which I mean, I remember like that, just starting to become a thing in this era. I remember that even when we were kids in the 90s, it was like, oh, good luck, it won't be there. Like, there won't be issues. Like, now, you can pretty much get anything, especially online. Sure, online, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it'd be like, I'd find a cool comic in issue three or something like that, and they'd go like, no, you're not going to find issue one and two, maybe if they do a second printing. I remember being so fixated on, like, not missing an issue of Ultimate Spider-Man that it, when it was airing, that or airing when it was being released in its initial run that like I no. actually did the direct subscription from Marvel and had issues sent to I my remember house. That. That's the, you're that you're the last person I remember having done that with ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that one of the only perks of the job when you worked at seven 11 was you did get to read comics when they came in. Um, I mean, at the beginning of that job, I would say, but I, I was straddling the line actually while working at uh graveyard shift at a seven 11 in which they were basically phasing out comic books as like something yeah. you'd find on a magazine rack. Cause that's the thing when I was a kid, I mean, now we're just going, remember this. Uh, but when I was a kid, I occasionally got to go to a comic book store. Cause my dad would, you know, but like my dad doesn't want to go into a comic book store, but it was occasionally I could beg him to do it. But for the most part, it was at the grocery store checkout is where I'd buy the new issue of Batman. Right. But nowadays, like you're lucky if there's an Archie there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's all gone to direct market. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to comic book business talk folks. But um, that is all tied in with this whole marketing experiment of this star Wars comic because yeah. We are also in an era where they do kind of have to explain everything issue to issue. Totally. Uh, something I'd like explained if we go to the next page. What happened to Han Solo's jaw? It it got swole. <laughs> He's headed to, to Bruce Tim territory here. His neck is also, like, disturbingly <laughs> wide. His neck is gigantic. And then immediately on the same page, he's back to being... Like slim, yeah. It's this like is Arty Infantino Goodman. playing a little fast and loose. Or, yeah, it's Infantino like, <laughs> like let his pencil drift off for a second, and then went. Ah, who cares? Uh, 
or we'll like m- m- maybe the pencils were a little vague and so the anchor was like i think it ends here and the colorist was like okay whatever yeah man and and that's another thing too that is uh as somebody who is creating a comic as we're writing this like back then you think about that if you if you saw this and went like i need that fixed they'd have to be like oh we we're doing this in inks because I give notes on stuff all the time, and it's like, oh, we'll just go change that in the computer. Mm-hmm. It's like a 30-second process. Here, it'd be like, do you really want me to redraw Han Solo, or do we not care? This will <laughs> delay the book by a month if you ask for this. That's it, exactly. So I do think there's a lot of that, too, where it's like comics are more public, uh, polished now, simply because you can go change this, this, and this, and like an hour later, you can get back your changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, the the the... Han's pointing out that they blew up the jammer, which is up there. By the way, third panel, that's our third editor's box, folks. Yeah. When they keep saying, like, oh, yeah, all the things you did last issue, and the editor keeps having to hammer home, oh, yeah, this all happened last issue. It's like, we get it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's sort of like you have active dialogue recapping what happened, and then it's further also telling you it's recapping. You're like, that's, come on, guys. It, it gets to the point of absurdity in some of the way that like Thor comics will, where oh God. every time somebody says Midgard, there's an asterisk and a little editor's caption says Earth. And like <laughs> that's done almost as a joke at a certain point. Oh, sure. Yeah. As less, like how many times can we have a little asterisk to just remind people that Midgard equals Earth in Thor comics? <laughs> but well, in this, it's, it's it also- feels like really aggressively like you're getting all the issues, right? And, it, and also this idea of not only are we making sure you're getting all the issues, but if you didn't, boy, you're going to be really confused, man. This is really as if Han just going, we blew up that thing last time. You're going to be like, you, oh, that was in the last issue. Oh, OK. You know, mm-hmm. I just remember that once again, being a kid and trades were kind of just starting to become the norm when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it was like I would get issues out of order because you know sometimes you just couldn't have access to an issue or something like that and i remember just kind of going like oh i must have missed that okay whatever like Mm -hmm. they referenced that superman did something whatever i'll just keep going like i would you just kind of roll with it at a certain point too going like yeah i i got it but there is this concern where it's like if they don't know what's going on we really better fill them in (laughs) i there is like new series starting at Marvel all the time, obviously. But some it's, of them yeah. are really contingent on a bunch of continuity that has happened in the last couple of years. And so reading the intro like paragraphs to those is like le- reading a word salad of, look, you missed like a hundred issues worth of stuff. And we're going to try to recap it the best we can. But there's a lot of proper nouns in here that you're probably not going to recognize. That's also something I thought about that's pretty wild to me, too is the idea of how long it takes for them to just go, oh, just put a paragraph on the front of the book saying previously. Yeah, I know, right? Like That's in our lifetime comics started doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Where they went like, oh, if we just said Spider-Man did this last week. Oh, cool. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, we do get this pretty, I thought it was funny, exchange between what? Han Solo and 3PO here. Actually, one of the things Archie Goodwin has been shockingly good at to me is writing the droids. Mm-hmm. All the three PO, he's really he's really got a handle on three PO's voice, and I think he writes Han better than uh, Roy Thomas did too. Yeah, because Roy Thomas sort of wrote him like I am a hero guy, and you're like, no, he's like a snarky guy actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And so I do like all this. And later, there's also an exchange between 3PO and R2 that I enjoy as well, too. Yeah. Which is like, oh, this actually sounds like the characters. Um, Solo says, like, hey, 3PO, what's the good word? And 3PO comes back with... Uh, it really depends on which language, Master Solo. After all, I am programmed to speak a rather wide variety. And in each of them, there's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he's cut off because uh, they get attacked. But like the yeah. fact that 3PO would take the... What's the good word? Literally, I find very amusing. I and that it's a rare example in these comics at this point where it's like I can actually hear Anthony Daniels saying that when I'm mm -hmm. reading it. Like that totally sounds right. Because yeah, uh, on the next page though, they're telling three PO to, to duck, and then we have a Y wing coming in and this shooting was, at it. This was pretty wild to me. I'm like a Y wing, which did show up in the uh, in a New Hope. They were part of the attack squadron. Uh, oh, absolutely, but the fact that it's like an an enemy Y wing. But I guess the idea is Crimson Jack has stolen ships over the years. Yeah, uh, that that's what I take because he also has Tie Fighters as well, mm -hmm. uh, and it makes sense. But it just kind of threw me. Also, the fact that it's all yellow is just yeah. lazy. I mean, that's yeah coloring. Um, but I do like Han like immediately diving over the edge of the ship and being like, "My Falcon." Uh, Han's Olympic level dive where he also, this is another one of those word balloon things I love where to imagine he says all this as he's falling towards the water. <laughs> Kids, if we're not starborn in record time, Crimson Jack's emissary is going to sink our transportation where she floats. He's saying that mid-fall. <laughs> Number one, the idea that he could get all that out. Number two, that anyone would be able to hear him as he falls from the ship. Yeah, which I that's why I do like the separation of dialogue balloons in the next couple of panels, because we get Leia and Luke also leaping over the edge. But Luke being basically dragged by Leia because he <laughs> says something that I had actually brought up in a previous episode was like Not this when I read this last night, there's something I've kept hidden since the droids and I crashed on this planet. I can't swim. Like, why would yeah. he be able to swim? He grew up on a desert planet. Desert planet. Literally, they have to farm moisture where he grew up mm -hmm. because they're water around so yeah. i mean it makes sense uh, i also like it i don't know if this is on purpose but it reminds me of uh um butch casting the sundance kid mm -hmm. uh, where the whole thing they're gonna jump in the water and and he's like no we can't do this and and robert redford just like i can't swim <laughs> this kid's like god damn it you're gonna make me say it yeah. uh, so uh they're getting attacked by this y-wing we go to the <laughs> we go to the next page with another super weird looking chewy yeah, Chewie's continuing to look like I don't know. Why can't they draw Chewbacca? He he's he's quickly drifting towards some kind of large furry mascot kind of. He really is. He really is. Look at his face, like the face. And then I guess the idea is his head is turned, so there's fur hanging off of him. But it's reading more like shaggy '70s hair than the like. Chewie is furry, but it's not like fur. Aside from his arms, fur doesn't like hang off of him. Or if he shifts to the side, there's suddenly a lot of fur draped down. So in certain like Eastern European countries, they they celebrate the Christmas season with the inclusion of this uh, entity called the Krampus, which has become a lot more popular in popular culture. But there are like oh, traditional... God, yeah. He's Santa. I mean, it makes sense. Everybody wants the dark sure, version of the Sure, but like not really. That's definitely what he's become. He's become that in pop yeah. culture is what I should say. It's like, we want bad Santa. 
sure. not Billy Bob Thornton. But if but if you look at like if you go and watch videos of traditional like Krampus celebrations, there are these fur suits that people wear as the Krampus that have these like weird long strands of hair so that it looks disturbing and weird when they're moving and like like a floofy like weird breeze thing and that's what Chewie reminds me of in these issues yeah this is I I, dead on I I I have seen those I also uh inking got a little wild hair on 3PO look at those eyes man well it's it's obviously tough to convey emotive expression on a face that doesn't change and comic books tend to be a little like stretch and but I, squish with that i think the second panel here does a better job with 3po's face but yes all of this stuff where it's like uh uh then just say so without nasty embellishments about my character all the bickering between r2 and 3po dead on great stuff that's mm-hmm. exactly their dynamic I love uh, the middle panel here where leia is literally dragging luke through the water Luke, who, like, by the time you get to that second to last panel here, it's like, Luke is, like, seconds away from drowning, right? (laughs) He's just, oh, oh, what? You're doing fine, Luke. And it's like, I don't know. I don't really have time to. What's going on with Leia's leg in this last panel here? Yeah, the the leg that's just kind of melting away behind her. Yeah, there's some like weird forced perspective happening there that isn't doing anybody any favors. Something that has gotten when I go back and read old comics, some of these long shots where you can lose detail on stuff purposely because we're pulled out wider mm-hmm. uh, get real wonky in old in older comics. I've noticed mm-hmm. they're just sort of like I want to portray that this is kind of farther away, but then it's kind of like okay, it's a little sloppy though. Well, man. and like the the combination of like the penciler clearly knew the frame that he wanted to do and then the inker trying to add what detail he can but sometimes it's too much detail so it makes it look like leia has three dots on her face and no nose right right exactly uh also there's just some random yellow coloring in that last panel that i don't fully understand well that's because Chewie really needs to, to stop smoking on the top of the uh the falcon God. here it's really some oh, nicotine it, staining the whole thing's nicotine stain. I told you, you gotta cut down. <laughs> That's Chewie saying, lay off me. Um, so, this is when the Falcon takes off, and this is such an unceremonious, like, we're leaving the stars on Drexel now, and yeah. never looking back. Yeah. Also, <laughs> the way the ship is flying off... Uh, I, I guess it's the idea that the engine is is this this sploosh of water. It almost looks like the ship isn't on in a weird way. Yeah, I mean we it's don't the really exhaust, the blue exhaust we know as the Falcon. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's yellow it's, here, it, so like I don't know. Yeah, once again, lots of yellow. Uh, uh, and then and then we basically get to I'm like, oh, now we're just like we need an action set piece. How about we just do that one again from the movie? <laughs> Yeah, so Han and Luke hop into the turrets, uh, and Leia has hopped into the pilot's chair. We've got her hair buns uh, back into a vice formation, so they're slowly squeezing her head. They really the the they're way too talk about line work or uh, on uh, on Infantino's part, where it is like, dude, it's hair, it's soft, but here it's all it's always so harsh and. T- Solid lines. It's like it's weird. Another weird chewy face. Well, and you compare uh, like Leia's hair to Chewie's like voluminous locks, and it's like all of the hair is being spent on Chewie. It really is. I know it's 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 so interesting. Um 
And so then, uh, I'm sure you can answer me this, uh, Gurgoni. This ship that's flying at them here is a kind of TIE fighter, am I right? It's a TIE bomber, or, yeah. TIE bomber, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, uh, we see these briefly in uh, Empire Strikes Back for the first time on screen. So, like, the fact that we saw one here actually made me raise an eyebrow because I was like, I didn't think those actually, like, showed up until Empire like Strikes Back. Maybe it was a model they built and didn't use, or a prototype, mm. kind of concept art. Because yeah, I agree. I don't remember seeing these in uh, it, it, yeah until Empire. Because mm -hmm. um, Empire get with Empire because they obviously the movie's success. They have a lot more money. You get way more designs and ships and different stuff in Empire. The whole world expands in the designs. Oh, I mean that first shot of the Super Star Destroyer like blew everyone's goddamn minds. Yeah, well, because I mean, in those particularly at that time, now we're so used to everything being these epic science fiction things. But at that time, it's like when a Star Wars movie came around, it's like, oh, we got to blow the doors off the place and outdo ourselves each time. Mm -hmm. Now it's I, those whole theories about is it even impossible to like wow audiences anymore, at least in that manner? Because yeah. everybody's so like, uh huh, massive battles, it got it. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and like. The use of miniatures is also something to be debated in terms of, like, how to really convey scale and solidity in things. Because everyone can see the giant thing made of CG, and it's less right. impressive, it feels like. Well, it all just feels... I mean, I'm such a miniature nerd, and, like, mm -hmm. models and stuff like that, both on... A, uh, in any of that stuff, original Star Wars, original Star Trek, even something like the old Battlestar Galactica, there is something tactile. There's something about the way light wraps around a real thing that even when you're, when you're calculating, there's just stuff that happens. The way stuff blows up, the way stuff flies about, that you wouldn't think to program, but if you're actually blowing up a model, if you're actually shooting light at something... You're like, whoa, that's cool and different. And then there is something about that. And I think that's a big reason why, number one, people have such love for and want nice copies of the non-special edition Star Wars stuff because we do have nostalgia for those effects specifically. Mm -hmm. And also why something like Wrath of Khan or whatever still holds up better than a lot of like CG stuff because even though it's further in the past, it's all models. And we talk about that a lot. Like a lot of stuff, a lot of like special effects movies from the 80s are actually be look better than 90s attempts where you've got early bad CGI, which ages more poorly than will, even with the limited movement of models. They just look better because they're real. I will always bring up Nightmare on Elm Street. The practical effect of Freddy's face and hands coming through the wall versus the yep. CG version that they did in the reboot in like the mid 2000s. It's night Absolutely. Day. It's night and day, and that original is so iconic, and it is still one of the most unsettling images in horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's yeah, sense. and it's literally just a latex wall with a guy pushing through it, and it is sort of that thing, Rico. Like you're overcomplicating it now. Yeah. Um, Speaking of unsettling images, uh, what is going on with Jolie's uh, space helmet on this next page? I don't know what is in her mouth. <laughs> what is? What we, is happening here? Because we find out that Jolie is the one flying the Y-Wing on this next page. She is harassing this uh, squadron to, like, shoot at the Millennium Falcon. Not to kill the Millennium Falcon, but to, like, try to drive it towards the Star Destroyer that Crimson Jack is he on. Still, he still wants the Falcon? He wants to kill Han Solo, but I think he still wants the Millennium Falcon, right? 
Yeah, and there will be a a, a MacGuffin reason for that in the, here in a minute. But there's also this like personal vendetta level that Crimson Jack I feel like needs to run a uh, a sword through Han Solo's chest to like really yeah. feel good about this. Yeah, I think that's true. But also, he's such a dummy, he'd probably let Han Solo talk him into something else. Well, and that's exactly what happens here. But we're going to start with Jolie here, because, yeah, yeah. she's uh, giving the other pilots a hard time. And they're like, look, we know you're the best, Jolie. Don't worry about it. Um, but she has yeah. this weird space helmet, which kind of, like, conforms to her nose and mouth in, like, this yeah. weird, like, vacuum-sealed thing. But she also mm-hmm. has this tube coming out of her lips that is the oxygen she's breathing, it, I guess? It's actually heading into, like, weird Cronenberg, like, tech meets body kind of stuff, right? Where it's, like, yeah. a tube that goes into your mouth and is breathing for you. You're starting to get into some trippy shit, man. Also... This middle panel on the bottom three here, what is that extra piece of the Y-Wing that actually makes it not a Y anymore? Yeah, the Y-Wing suddenly becomes a W-Wing. Yeah, I know, right? You go like, <laughs> oh, that's the, oh, you know, you've never heard of the fork ship that we have around here? <laughs> well, and especially if you go back a couple of pages and you see that, like, it actually has been radically changing the whole time we've seen it. Um, we start back on like the page when it first shows up and it looks like a traditional yeah. Y-Wing. You go to the next page, suddenly it's like Y modules have moved up to the middle of the ship. And by the time we get to the page we're on, it is fully become a W. I know. You're just going like, man. It's, it's an ever-evolving ship in the moment, which is actually a cool idea now that I think about it. Uh, also on this page, I do see our fourth editor's box. Yep, 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 yep. <sighs> Shown in the now classic Star Wars 4 and 5. Well, and I'm sure they were, they were reprinting those at that point. Yes, they had to be, because I'm sure the... I, 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 this was all successful, but I'm sure the, that first run of adaptation stuff was huge. Mm-hmm. It had to be. Um, and you see something we haven't talked about, but like uh, uh, you'll see every single big release movie do one of these comic mm-hmm. book adaptations going forward. There were comic book adaptations before this, but like the big, like I have the original Blade Runner one. I was going to say the Blade Runner one is the funniest. It was one of the funnier ones to me. Yeah. I have the, I have those issues because it is like the next big sci-fi event. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, actually that whole movie is like that too. I used to have the poster on my wall for years, which was like the great science fiction adventure. And you're like, nah, <laughs> right well, to add it is like the guy from Star Wars in another sci-fi adventure like no it's like a mournful future noir have you seen the uh the comic adaptation of Lynch's Dune it's pretty wild. oh yes oh yes <laughs> well everything about Lynch's Dune was like Star Wars is over meet your new space obsession and you're like Marketing I department fuck- did you even see this movie <laughs> yeah I fucking love that movie we've talked about my great affinity for the movie I know you're as a book fan, you're a little bit more lukewarm on it than I am, mm-hmm. but that movie is not was never going to be a Star Wars level box office smash. Ooh. It's so weird. No, number one, no film director by David Lynch would be. <laughs> uh, I still want to go to the alternate reality where he did direct Return of the Jedi since right. he was asked. God damn, Return of the Jedi would be like. Uh, it'd be uh, probably more polarizing than Last Jedi, but cinema nerds like me would be like, dude, it was the best one. <laughs> it's Speaking of polarizing and disturbing, oh, though. Here we go, man. Because 
this last frame of Jolie looking wistful towards her laser blast and then the captioning saying, At these words, Jolie tenses, and then... And in the fiery laser blast before her, she begins to see the flames of another place and time. And we get Jolie's tragic, horrifying backstory. Yeah, I do like that she gets her purple hair from her mother. Um, but And her pirate father. Just straight up a pirate design, right? Okay, so we get three panels here that tell us the saddest short story that I've ever read. This is little it, match girl levels of horrifying and sad. It, it really is, man. It is. It was like, Jesus. So basically what we get here is three panels where they're on the, some kind of outlaw stronghold. She has a pirate father and the empire is bearing down on them. And her family has to try to escape somehow. And her dad straight up says, Blasted Imperials have found us again. Woman, it's time for moving, fast and light. And the wife says, you're you're not leaving us. And the pirate dad says, of course I am. Of course I am. Like I ever gave a shit, man. The last thing a fugitive from the Empire needs is excess baggage weighing him down. And he's saying this in front of his wife and daughter, his daughter being Jolie. Yeah, man. I mean, I thought when it cut to this, I'm like, okay, her parents were killed in some sort of imperial raid, which is tragic, but it is. But the idea that it's like, no, also we were abandoned, and then her mother is immediately killed. Her wife saying, but but I'm your wife. Jolie's your child. And the pirate saying, forget it, woman. You're not good enough. He basically is like, you think I give a fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Good Lord, man. And the caption saying they immediately died because of a torpedo. So yeah. Jolie is left he, as an orphan whose last memory of her parents is her father saying, I'm leaving you to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it you're really, not good enough. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. Um, and then it gets tangled into this because we cut back to Jolie's face and it says... An aerial torpedo struck. The woman failed to survive, but her child lived. Lived to become a man-hater and space pirate. And ever ready to prove that she is good enough. And then Jolie's thought bubbles here further confuse things in terms of how she feels about Han Solo. Because, okay, this horrifying bit of her past made her into the space pirate and, like, all-around grouch that we know in the present day. And man-hate her. Let's never forget, she hates men, to which, kind of can't blame her if this is her father. Yeah, 100%. Totally get yeah. it where it's all coming from yeah. now. Yeah, uh, men are the absolute worst. Jesus uh-huh. Christ. Uh, Espe- especially scoundrel pirate men. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally Jesus. get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Though it does but, raise some like very weird psychological questions about why she chooses to work for Captain Jack, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, Jolie might be the most psychologically fascinating character in Star Wars. Uh <laughs> Yeah, because then also, yeah, the idea that her scoundrel pirate father abandoned her and her mother, then she goes to work for pirates, and then for the first time ever in her life, maybe, has romantic stirrings towards a known roguish smuggler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating woman. Yeah. No, I, I, like, by the end of this, she was just like, I, I kind of want more Jolie. Like, I, yeah. Is there, like, a Jolie miniseries or something I can read? There really isn't. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but it is like they, they almost inadvertently 
build a really interesting character. Mm-hmm. It's 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 all it's like so much of this is like uh, a lot of this is accidental. I don't think they mean this, but I'm like, oh, I don't think you realize the complexity of this character you've created based on what you've shown us. Well, they're clearly trying to create sympathy here, right? Like that's the whole. Yeah, they point want her this. to not be Crimson Jack is just bad, right? Yeah. They want her to be complicated in some way but i don't think they also realize once again especially now the way we think about it and and now we think more about psychology characters like the weight they've given this character right exactly while um, still writing her in a very shitty male writers of the 70s manner oh yeah the 100 percent. like the the amount of really binary thinking that is happening around the character like Jolie is like really reductive. But at the time, like you said, they're kind of like inadvertently making this very fascinating character. Like obviously there is intention in terms of making her sympathetic and complex just Mm -hmm. so we can pull the rug out at the end of this issue. But there is also way more going on here that a modern writer would be able to dig into. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, let's see, they, uh, they're, they're trying to get him into the tractor beam of right. the Star Destroyer. They're pushing him towards that. But Han Solo is being like, Jack's gotten tricky on this next page in his old yeah. age. But don't worry, boys and girls. I was born tricky. I do love that line from Han Solo. I was born tricky. Tricky. Yeah. Can't not think that. Uh, and then boy, this rainbow colored Millennium Falcon, where to get all these colors. I mean, you're catching some light off of the stars behind them and the the unnamed planet of the Starstone Drexel, so, you know. Yeah. When are they going to give that planet a name? Uh, says. Then, boy, I understand Luke has blonde hair, but boy, he's really blonde in this last in this uh, second to last panel here. Yeah, he's also gotten, like, way more jaw again. There's some vacillating jaws in this issue. Look at him. Yeah, that's weird. I didn't even... Yeah, He's his, got, his, like, his, a his, weird Bugsy Malone li- under lip here. That's right, pal. See? See here? <laughs> uh, yeah, and so there, we're, we're just recreating the, the battle from A New Hope, basically, at this point. Right. They, they, they um, do a whole little, like, flip around on the ship that is, like, I think pretty well conveyed in the comic. I like the, like, the whoosh marks and the, yeah, the uh, shot I don't of the what? Falcon coming around. I don't know what happened to the Falcon here on this. The 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 weird like forks at the front of it have really gotten wonky on that last panel. Yeah, dead on perspective of the Falcon has got to be really tough to draw. I think. Yeah, I think. I mean, it, like all of this stuff will uh, work itself out over the course of the years of us reading these comics, right? Because mm-hmm. it will eventually come to people who spent their whole childhood drawing these ships. Right, I do think yeah. that's going to change a lot when you get like. Today's people where it's like, oh, I've been drawing the Millennium Falcon my whole life. So here, here, and here, it looks like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and more technical manuals to look at, too, and stuff, right? And toys. Oh, we're still years out from our incredible cross-sections that will be a mainstay of our childhood. Absolutely. The cross-sections. And I do think the toys is a big thing. Like, everybody's mm-hmm. got... You can just go grab the Falcon and go, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. Your references are like... Yeah. I don't think anyone's even actually gotten their hands on the action figures just yet. No. This is probably <laughs> when this is coming out. It's just about the time that the Kenner figures are about to come out. So Did it take um, that long? Did it take, like, a year for them to roll out? Yes, it was. Because that was the thing. By Christmas of 77, they weren't out. And that was the Christmas, as people talk about, where they got the boxes. Mm-hmm. Of course, I highly recommend um, both the show, The Toys That Made Us, 
and the documentary Plastic Galaxy about the history of Star Wars toys. And that is the thing where it's like, yeah, they talk about a generation of kids who got an empty box for Christmas with the promise of, <laughs> you pre-ordered, they gave you the box for them, and they go, when these are ready, you'll get your Star Wars figures. And I'm trying to recall when the like first ship toys were actually coming out, because it wasn't until well after that. I know the Land Speeder was one of the first ones. Yes, it was. Uh, the Land Speeder, which we've talked about, was like... Um, uh, it is so interesting how important it is as a toy more than really its use in the movie itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but the Millennium Falcon swoops in. We've got the TIE fighter uh, getting blown up. And then we've got the Y-Wing again, vacillating in shape has now become like more of a, I don't know, kind of a equal sign wing um, <laughs> is doing a flyby of the Falcon and basically scraping itself along the top. I really like, despite the coloration of the Y-Wing itself being this like weird golden rod, like the, the flying shrack as it's scraping across the top of the Falcon. Yeah, no, it's, it's a cool idea too of two ships like just scraping by each other in space is a cool thing that we'll see more of in other uh, Star Wars and Star Trek stuff later on. But this mm -hmm. is early. Um, this panel of whatever the hell is happening to Luke Skywalker, though. Is that Luke or is that Han? Felt like that thing with my gun turret. At least the hole's intact. No, it's it's Luke because the 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 transmission is 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 Han's voice. That's the good news, kid. Okay, no, that's fair. Yeah, for some reason we entered into a trippy psychedelic uh, drug fugue uh, in this third panel as like something from the Yellow Submarine movie suddenly happens. We all live in a yellow submarine. We all live uh, in a yellow Y-wing. Uh, Han, there seems to be four, I don't know, a fabulous foursome of some kind down here. Uh by the way, uh, brief note on the Star Wars uh, Kenner. You're right that it was later, and the uh, I love just just to give you a, a glimpse of the era. Um, the 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 land speeder was a JC Penny exclusive. Mm, JC, I knew I I thought I knew it was either JC Penny or Sears. Yeah, Sears. The Sears exclusive was the Cantina playset. Ah, there we go. Okay, yeah. Which why do I do this? <laughs> We live because we've seen that shit, man. I've seen those documentaries. No, but I wasn't alive during this time. So my running gag is like I know more about Star Wars than I will ever remember my mom's birthday, and it's oh, incredibly God. embarrassing because yesterday my mom called me and said, "Do you know what day it is?" And I went, "Oh no, it's your birthday." <laughs> let's see what happened. You went, "Let's see what happened in Star Wars." Yeah, the you're yeah. <laughs> No, I've talked about this. My I first instinct was to say, no, a new episode of The Bad Batch doesn't come out till Wednesday, so I don't know what day it is. Uh, uh, did Ant-Man come out? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I've, I've said this before. One of my common refrains is, I know more about how the engines of the Enterprise work than how my car functions. <laughs> yeah. God, we're uh, broken humans. We really are. It is sort of the thing. I, uh, a friend of the show, Mikey Nielsen, uh, and I had a, have had many a conversation of, could you imagine if we had this same level of mental energy to anything that really existed? We'd Gosh. be like leaders of the world. <laughs> uh, but nope, it's all about stuff that isn't real. 
Yeah. Speaking of stuff that isn't real, uh, we find out that in her scraping attack, she has uh, Jolie has knocked out the gyro control module of the Millennium All right, Falcon. I want to take a look at, okay, where does she hit on the ship? She hits just above the cockpit, right? Mm-hmm. Based on this. Yeah. How does that screw up the gyro control module? Because that's where you have the gyro control module. Just from scraping that. That's how fragile this ship is. To be fair, I've always seen the Millennium Falcon as, like, a very well-tuned, like, over-the-top muscle car, right? Where it's, like, it maybe started as, like, a pretty shitty standard vehicle, but the amount of stuff that has been added onto it and the stuff that is, like, built out from it and all the modifications that Han has made have made it into this delicate piece of high-end machinery that if a rock is thrown at the wrong place, it will collapse. (laughs) I think that's, I mean, I I think that's fair. I think we've seen that play out. Um, So, yeah, so the gyro control, so, uh uh-oh, that's bad. Yeah. Meanwhile. This is more more establishing shots where you're like, who's talking? I guess it's Han. It's Han and And now Captain Jack are having a back and forth because Han Solo is like, well, we got to replace the gyro control module. And everyone's like, but what's stopping Captain Jack from blowing us out of the water right now? And Han being like, ha ha, I'm the tricky one now. Because Captain Jack's about to be real mad when he finds out that he has no navigation computer charts anymore. You just got soloed. You got soloed. <laughs> Technically, he got chewbacca because yeah, it, it that's turns right. out... Several issues ago, and we'll skip past this page where basically Captain Jack and Solo have their little back and forth. We've got the anti-monitor yeah. down here telling Captain Jack that uh, we're all screwed. <laughs> and Infantino is just now at this point using things he's drawn before. Uh, <laughs> straight up. Uh, I, I I also just want to point out on the third panel here on this page, I love Han's like, ah, we got him. Yeah. Son of a bitch. There we go. Ah, uh, we get two, count them, two uh, editor's notes on this next page, though, as Solo Maybe. explains exactly what happened. That's when Six, baby, six. Yeah. So basically, like, there was this whole sequence in which uh, Crimson Jack got Chewie to hook up the Falcon to his Star Cruiser in order to steal their navigation data and find their way to the Drexel system. But Chewie pulled the old switcheroo, and when doing that, actually... St- stole all of Captain Jack's navigation data. So now if Captain Jack wants to go anywhere, they need the nav computer from the Falcon. Because if you try to just like eyeball a hyperspeed jump, you're screwed. Yeah. Yes. Uh, love this first panel here on this page with Han and the headphones and talking to the microphone like, hello, everybody. This is Han Solo doing the night shift. Uh, Han right? Solo on the threes and fours. Yeah. This is Captain Solo's smooth jazz hour. Uh, it, he's just the way he's leaned back. He's just going like, I'm going to be with you for the next three hours playing all the hits of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just it's. Uh, and then, yeah. Uh, Crimson Jack is so upset he's having some sort of uh, Jean Grey-esque mental episode based on the energy emanating from his head. Yeah, that is definitely like a surprise halo that's like broink. I keep that expecting is, the Metal Gear Solid like exclamation point to come out yes, of his head. It, it's, and it's such an old like classic comic book thing to like indicate that. Um, mm. You just 
comic books have calmed down a lot in modern years, I think is something. Depending on what you're doing, at least like grounded stuff like this, you get stuff like this that's still doing this, but they're almost doing it in a purposely sort of like yeah. cartoon way now. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like big two superhero sci-fi stuff, there's a lot less of this kind of um, uh, like expressionistic sort of things in it. I will say that's actually, I think the pendulum is swinging back the other way, and something that had a big influence on that, I will say, is cartoons like Teen Titans and Avatar The Last Airbender that got more expressionistic and kind of like anime-esque when there's moments of high emotion that you can express with like really altered facial features or different art styles. Well, I think something that, and I think this is true about pop culture in general now, uh, uniformity is kind of out the window now. Like it used to be mm. all comics looked like this and then all comics looked a different way. Now there are people who are going back to, oh, we don't have to eschew that. We can do that or we can be very grounded and realistic and all of it is valid. You know, I mean, I think that's that's kind of the fun thing about today is there's kind of no industry standard anymore for anything. Yeah, no. In 1978, everyone was trying to be Carmen Infantino. In 1998, everyone was trying to be Todd McFarlane. Right, Exactly. Uh, and there are pros and cons to that for sure. Unless you're uh, Joe Matarera, in which case everyone was trying to be Joe Matarera. Yeah, well, that guy's awesome and unique. Um, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> let's talk about 3PO and R2 on the outside of the Millennium Falcon, because that's pretty well. <clears throat> Three, th- this is insane to me. R2 on the outside of a ship fixing it, we expect. 3PO? What's he doing out there? How is he supposed to help? Yeah, I, he's not holding tools or anything. Yeah, I know. He's just. He's just, he's basically... Actively a hindrance by just interrupting and annoying R2, who is once again, this comic does not understand how R2 functions because he's once again using his legs like arms and it weirds me out every time they do this. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, like he's like moving his legs up and going, Vreep a doot beep. Yep. Classic R2 dialogue. But yeah, they established that the the gyro control module is beyond repair and it has to be replaced. So Han proposes a trade where you give me some like leftover parts so I can fix my ship and I'll give you some navigation data so that you can go home. Meanwhile, Crimson Jack is hanging out with Machine Man and <laughs> one of the pirate henchmen from the Batman 66 movie. <clears throat> oh, see, I thought that was a uh, leftover G.I. Joe, maybe named the wet one. You know, uh, Crimson Jack, you can have this guy. The Joes don't really need him. (laughs) (laughs) He's actively been a hindrance in some Cobra battles. Uh Uh, And And why why is this console soggy? Oh, the wet one was in here. On the Uh, next page, we have Han Solo getting strapped up with his scuba tank and having this very strange exchange with Luke Skywalker here. Where he Very says, strange. Han, uh, Luke says, Han, how can you be sure Crimson Jack won't pull a fast one? And Han responds, I'll be disappointed if he doesn't, kid. Life ought to have a few consistencies. Now look the other way so I can kiss the princess goodbye without feeling guilty. What? Yeah, I don't know. And is it just because he feels guilty about kissing anybody in front of Luke? Because Luke is a strange shut-in child from a desert world, or is it because they're still playing up the romance between Luke and Leia? I can't tell, and obviously the whole thing is weird knowing where this is going. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Number one, that it's just that it's a foregone conclusion, kind of, that he's going to kiss her, which implies a relationship that doesn't exist yet. Uh, and two, yeah, that it continues that. Or if it's just like, hey, I'm not really comfortable with public displays of affection. So if everybody can look away while I kiss this gal here. Uh, I just, it, it's, yeah, I read the uh, similar, I read this last night and raised an eyebrow to like, what? Yeah. There's just some weird, everyone's, this comic's like that, where you're just kind of reading along, like, okay, whatever, kind of 70s space adventure. And then every once in a while, there's a thing where you're like, the hell? What is that? What does that mean? That's a weird thing for somebody to say. Yeah. Speaking um, of weird things for people to say, uh, we've got Captain Jack also strapping up, getting ready for their meet with Solo. And then we've got one of his pirate crew saying, Captain Jack, Jolly's hurt and damaged out there. She needs a mag pulse to bring her back in. And Captain Jack says, too bad. <laughs> too bad. I've rather, I've always been rather fond of Jolly. But a pulse beam might interfere with my signal strength. Tell our little Spitfire she'll have to make it on her own. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Every if Crimson she's Jack line. Good enough. If she's good enough. Ha ha. Yes. Microaggressions. Um, <laughs> and this is, the, this is the point where Jolie's eyebrows have like officially started to concave upon themselves. And I think sadly this is now permanent. Uh, she's <laughs> her face is stuck like this. Well, uh, that's what your parents say. You scowl long enough, it'll get stuck like that. There it is. So here we go. Two guys jumping out into space. And this is the thing we're talking about, where it's just scuba mass. No concept that space would be damaging to the skin or something like that. Okay. Here's where we get our dropped lines about like why this even makes a lick of sense. Is yes. Han Solo says, It makes me uneasy operating with just a breath mask, even if we are protected by your cruiser's magnetic field. That is just yeah. some mumbo jumbo doesn't mean anything, but at least it's like some passing excuse to like why well, they're not. Because on the next page, we get a dropped line about how like uh, a man unarmored in the vacuum of deep space will find his blood boiling in seconds. They do. Yeah, you're right. They do indicate that there will be trouble. This is nonsense, as we've talked about, though, that there's some kind of magnetic field that's protecting them from the dangers of space. But also his line about it makes me uneasy operating with just a a breath mask, which implies that there are more spacesuit-y things, right? Well, because they have this reference to armor uh, in both this right. page and the next page where it's like, okay, maybe that's what they're talking about when they are talking about spacesuits is armored? Yeah, but the the uh, Crimson Jack is going like, full armor could hide anything from a proton grenade to your Wookiee first mate. This leaves much less to doubt. The tape, please. The tape, by the way, is very 1970s text and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was watching an, an old episode of Next Generation the other night when they when Picard goes, we've all seen the tape of what happened on that other ship. And I'm like, oh, my God. 24th century going, uh, yes, Wolf, roll in the VCR cot. Well, my favorite thing in Star Trek in terms of like their weird new old timey tech is the fact that books would all just be an individual tablet like I, as opposed to multiple books on a single tablet it's my favorite thing about like you guys are so close to being right about the technology mm -hmm. you're like yeah everything's reading on screens but the idea that you you just need one pad picard goes yes put that over there and he's got a stack of tablets going mm -hmm. yeah, i'll have to get through all of this paperwork yeah yeah it's one of those things where you're like oh you almost nailed it you guys mm-hmm 
Uh, but yeah, so that's the, the uh, so yeah, the, implying also that this armor is obviously bulky. If the thing is, it could hide anything from a proton grenade to your Wookiee first mate, meaning we've got to have bulky space suits somewhere, probably. I guess. But yeah. so they have they have this handoff, and then of course, Captain Jack pulls a fast one. And well, he's a shit. famous he's a, piece, of shit. famous piece of shit. But Han Solo, who's kind of on the same wavelength, is just like, I knew you were going to pull a fast one, so I'm going to pull my own fast one. You're pretty, you're a fast one. Uh, and Han, Han firing off like a jetpack in outer space is pretty cool. Yeah, and I do like actually how all the art is conveying that they're in zero gravity here. They're basically I, being drawn like they're underwater. They are. And and also Crimson <laughs> short shorts and big boots uh, is Speedo and big boots. Also, though, what the hell is this blaster Han has? I've never seen this. It's all, the gun, all the guns I find are over-designed in this comic. Like they're 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 way too complicated and they're and actually not as cool as the ones that are in the movies. Yeah. No. Really My cool. big question is how is Crimson Jack fitting his whole beard inside of that breathing mask? <laughs> Pack it in, boys. Yes, that's it. Get it in there. Nice and tight. Don't want anything to happen to old beardy. <laughs> because Captain Jack's fast one is that he is pulling in his magnetic field, so now that there is nothing between Solo and the Millennium Falcon except for deadly, deadly vacuum. Right. And Han uh, basically calls his bluff by just jettisoning himself into space. <laughs> well, he turns around and starts firing, but that's when everything uh, takes another sudden turn, because what's this? A Y-wing out of nowhere saying, fuck you, Captain Jack. <laughs> yeah, and... She is just obliterating men, right? Yes, no. She's shooting all of Captain Jack's men who have started spilling out of the Star Destroyer, but she is also now on a suicide run to slam her Y-Wing into the Star Destroyer itself. As we get her blast away and you see these guys getting hit by, like, the orange blast, and then I do, like, just the corpses floating behind Crimson Jack. Well, corpses except for the one guy who has a speech bubble that says yeah. she's swerving towards the ship's munitions deck, Captain. If she's got a live torpedo, it's too late. And she does. And we get a backwalm. We do get a good backwalm. And Captain Jack lamenting, gone, the best pirate in operation in the galaxy, destroyed because of a mad woman and a fast talking Corellian. All of my pirate dreams dashed. Arr. Not quite wow. all of them, because on this next page, we do get the final uh, verse of Crimson right. Jack as he is taken. I out. love this. Yeah. That Han Solo just fucking shoots this guy in the chest. <laughs> It's just, it just, I mean, and the the fact that you can see like the opening of his shirt, like Han just blew this guy's chest open. And this is a solid action movie one-liner here when Captain Jack says, Solo, I might have known it had come down to just you and me. And Solo comes back at him with a, No, Jack, just me. Blam! And you're going like, damn, that? I'm going like, there are bits and moments in here where I'm like, hell yeah, that's a badass Han Solo moment. Like, that's a dirty hairy line right there. It really is, yeah. And that's... That this Han Solo, that's the guy who shot Greedo first, you know. Yeah, and that's hundred percent. I mean, they that is them once again having seen the movie and going once again. I do think there's some weird stuff, but for the most part, Archie Goodwin is better at writing these characters like they are in the movie than Roy Thomas was. Not that there how, aren't still weird moments. Want to know how he undercut this like really badass superlative moment though? Let's have Han Solo kiss a corpse. 
Yeah, what was this, man? <laughs> so we get this like really quick beat here as we get uh, narration boxes saying the droids fixed the Millennium Falcon and then they search the wreckage and they find Jolie's battered body in which, okay, if she was flying a ship with a live torpedo into a munitions dump, how do they oh. even find a body? Oh, I know. It's insane. It's insane. But it's not like, well, maybe we found an arm floating in space or something <laughs> like that. You know, that's about it. But yeah, it's pretty wild that she's just amongst like twisted metal here. And then this is so weird. And this is, yeah, I think actually this page is indicative of this whole comic where it's like something cool, something weird. Uh, and so, yeah. Uh, so, and making a search of the wreckage and debris. God, this Leia line is weird. She claimed to hate men, but where you were concerned, Han, I had the feeling, maybe so. Then uh, in the implying that what? Implying that Leia like had some inkling that she that Jolie was like into Solo because because Leia was the one to rile up Jolie with lines yeah. about how good of a kisser Han Solo yeah. was. Yeah. Well, I do love that too. That it's all like it's still pretty chase because it's aimed at kids. So it's like he's a great kisser. You know, yeah, there's uh, no like sexual urges. It's all very like, but yeah. And and then in the gradually fading atmosphere of the dying cruiser, an unhappy lady named Jolie receives her first and last kiss as he kisses her dead body. If she if he had kissed her like on the forehead of just like go softly into that sweet good night. Oh, terrible yeah. space pirate angel. That would be one thing. You know, it's drawn like a romance comic. He kisses her on the lips as. Leia in blue face watches. And it's kind of like, mm. oh. yeah, it's such a bizarre note to end this issue on. It's, uh, I love, I mean, I, Archie Gooden, I applaud you trying to have like some kind of like kind of sad denouement to this, mm -hmm. like, oh, the cost of battle. And, but it's like, what? He's trying Especially to be tragic. It's weird. It's, it's weird. Especially when all of the buildup for this character happened basically in this issue, other than the weird, like, sexual yeah. confusion she was going through in the previous yeah. issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, uh, in today's parlance, I almost take Jolie to be, like, a person who thought she was asexual until she met the one person that actually made her feel some kind of sexual attraction. Interesting. Yeah, yeah no, and that would be interesting if not for the fact that, like, otherwise she is depicted as this like heartless cold terrible unfeeling person who just wants to murder well yeah you could do everything they there i'm talking about you could do with a character over like eight issues you know i mean like yeah. if they were really a central character and you really arc them instead it just is wild shifts in her character uh based around what the story needs yeah and again like the idea of han solo kissing a dead woman on the lips like that he has basically no connection to other than like he saw yeah. her once or twice on the bridge of a ship. He's giving a pity kiss to a corpse. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. No. Weird, and, man. Who thought this was okay? <laughs> and it speaks to a whole generation of comic book writers that, or not writers, but like writers and artists that d display dead women in like sexy poses there's this yeah. whole trope in comic books of this that you can do a lot more reading on um there's a term for it i'm trying to remember what it is um, i know what you're talking about yeah uh but like the kind of uh beautiful corpsification 
of women yeah. in comics yeah. is a long-standing thing. And this like ties in with the whole concept of fridging sometimes, but it is more than just that because it's a lot more common is like women who are battered or dead are like laid out in attractive poses. And this isn't as bad as some of the stuff you'd see in like X-Men at the same era, but um, yeah, and I think a lot of it stems from like EC horror or hard boiled yeah. sort of noir comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that uh, consciously Miller plays on in Sin City, yeah. right? The sort of like, uh, I, this hot lady is dead and naked in that. And also, I'm turned on and pissed off and avenging. You know, it is, it is yeah. getting wrapped up in this weird thing about like, beauty snuffed out must rage with violence you know what i mean like there's a, right. yeah there's a lot of weird stuff going on here yeah and the fact that this is the last page of this issue makes it all the weirder right is that like we don't even get like another page to kind of let this image leave our heads it is just like nope and next issue the hunter <laughs> yes man we're gonna get uh another character uh very famous to um the the comic specifically yeah well we're next issue we're definitely going to be back with some of our old favorites like jackson but we're also going to be introduced our, to ourselves to valance the bounty hunter indeed but next week on the show we're going to take a little break from the 1970s star wars comic yeah because look we got a good chunk of this book under our belt in this first little sprint issues, that we've man. done yeah it's we've been. Covered, it's, oh, go ahead. We've covered the first year plus of this book as it was being published, yeah, uh, and that includes like a whole six issues on the uh, A New Hope. But there have been quite a few other takes on A New Hope over the years. And before we get too far away from the the origin point of all of this, I do want to circle back and kind of like compare and contrast some of the stuff that we've seen with some of the stuff that would come later. Indeed. So next week, what are we what are we talking about, Gargani? We are talking about there was a whole run of reissues, basically, of comic book adaptations around the time of these reissues of Star Wars. Because, as we all know, George Lucas can never let well enough alone and has ceaselessly tinkered with his movies until he sold it to Disney. And that mm-hmm culminated in the late 90s releases of the Star Wars Special Editions when they oh, were re-released yeah. in theaters and they got a whole brand new VHS box set and it became impossible to find the theatrical releases of Star Wars. Yeah, which everybody's happy about, right? Oh, wait. <laughs> no, we're all mad about it. <laughs> but that included comic book adaptations. So we're going to be coming covering the 1997 adaptation of the Star Wars Special Edition. Specifically, this is a comic book adaptation of the Special Editions of Star yes. Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. I think I had these. I'm pretty sure I had. I at least had the Empire Strikes Back one, which, as oft talked about, of the Special Editions, is the least damaged. Maybe yes. because it's a pretty perfect movie that's hard to fuck with. Yeah, you don't need to be adding any extra... Uh, tracking shots into Mos Eisley or random musical numbers with size noodles. Right, you get a little bit more Cloud City like stuff, but for the most part, uh, and you get that extra shot of the Wampa. And I- I'd change. I don't mind the corrected Emperor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we lose Frogface Emperor, and that's <laughs> fine because 
Any correction to make the continuity fit, like putting Hayden Christensen at the end of that, I'm fine with any of that because it's like, well, okay, yeah, you want to seed this together. We'll maybe talk about that more at a later date, but yeah, I've got my own opinions about Hayden Christensen suddenly being a force ghost at the end of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> well, I've got, I, 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 I would have just stopped it. I've got my own problems with Hayden Christensen, but, um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that is what to, you can look forward to uh, coming soon here on May the Panel Be With You. Uh, I think going forward, we will be jumping around a little bit more. We will still be covering the Marvel Star Wars comic. Uh, Don't worry, folks. If yeah. this is the way you experience that comic, we're not abandoning that anytime it, soon. In but perpetuity. Break some stuff up and kind of, uh, yeah, uh, keep ourselves sane, if you will. Star Wars comics have a long and wild history, and if we just stuck with the Marvel stuff, we'd be at this for years, and we'd probably never get to some of the very interesting one-shots and, like, side stories and little, like, four-issue miniseries that I think makes up some of the most interesting Star Wars comics. Yeah, and, then and I think that's stuff kind like of how Infinity's books and, like, yeah. uh, some of the High Republic stuff that we've been getting in the last few years... Well, I mean, because there is an entire, as much as the Marvel uh, books ran for their chunk of time, there is this massive, uh, basically, like, dynasty of Dark Horse comics, right? Yeah. And look, we'll get into the Dark Horse stuff, so strap in if you remember those fondly from the 80s and 90s. Some of that shit's pretty wild, too, man. Uh, so yeah, pretty wild. And if you want even more of this show and other shows from the Punch-Up Entertainment Network, you can go to our patron page, patron, uh, podbean was it patron.podbean, man, uh, <laughs> patron.podbean.com slash punch-up, where you can get cool exclusive bonus content from all of our shows, including Material Components, Campbell and Jones Meet the Monsters, and The Action Shelf. So go over there and support that, as well as remembering to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever you use. And if you're on YouTube... Make sure you uh, rate us and uh, ring that bell for notifications. Hit that like, hit that subscribe, wingle the dingle, and let us know in the comments below, would you read a Jolie miniseries? Do you even care enough about this character? Was Were you captivated in the same way we were? I'd be curious well, to I'd hear be, what people think. Well, I'd be bombarding with Marvel, uh, Marvel with emails, pitching it, maybe. <laughs> uh, but we'll find out all that uh, when you join us uh, next week as we, uh, as we take a new journey. Yes, into indeed. a new journey into an old journey into all that is old is new again as we cover the Star Wars That's special edition comics. The, uh, the tagline of the show. All that's old is new again. <laughs> I'm pretty it's sure bad. somebody else has used that before. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> as always, I've been Mike Gargoni. I'm John Campbell. And remember, may the panel be with you. Oh.